This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. is that when they go out into the world, they realize they miss something. They realize there's just nothing out in the world. That is what Paul is doing here. I've seen parents, you know, kids that are 18, 19, 20 years old, and they just totally misbehave. They say, you know, you need to get out. You need to get out. I love you. I'll support you till you're 30, but you need to get out. It's the same with the church. Why? Because when people come to church, they don't come to church to hear other doctrines. In today's message, Pastor Eddie illustrates a truth more powerful than anything of this world the transformational power of Jesus. Like a caterpillar turning into a butterfly, Jesus wants to transform anyone and everyone who will simply open their heart. It doesn't matter where you're from or what you've done. God's love is the catalyst for change. It's much simpler than you might think. Accept His perfect gift of grace and be saved. Well, let's join Pastor Eddie in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 1 as he continues his message, Paul's Gratitude for God's Mercy. to be patient with others, unbelievers, because God has patience with us. We need to be patient with those who are in the church with one another, because God has been patient with us. In the same way, now at this point of Paul's letter to Timothy, after Paul looked back at his life as a blasphemer, persecutor, violent man, after receiving the mercies of God, after receiving the grace of God overflowing, he now breaks out into a spontaneous praise here in verse 17. A doxology is what we will call. Look at verse 17. Because of all this is what he has to say. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, Be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He breaks out into a praise because he realized the importance. He realized that who he was before the cross. That God had mercy towards him and God still enabled him and God still find him faithful. And that God put him in the ministry. And that God is giving him eternal life. And here he is, he breaks out to praise. This is why we worship saints. This is reason why we praise God and we worship God in song. Because of what he's done. We see this here in Paul. Paul didn't need an instrument, he didn't need a guitar. He did this on his own. This is a praise of worship and adoration towards God. And he identifies God as the king internal, meaning he is ruling and reigning in complete power and glory. Christ is immortal and invisible. This speaks of the two of the central attributes of God, his eternity and and his spiritual essence. And he alone is God. He alone is wise. Wisdom comes from God. 
Wisdom was there in the beginning before the foundation of the earth. Before God said, let there be light, there was wisdom because he is wisdom. He doesn't obtain it from an outside source. It's part of who he is. To be honored and glorified forever and never. God is worthy of endless worship and adoration. And so after Paul looks back at his life, all he can do is praise God. When we look back to where we were, when we were dead, when we were without life, without hope, and when we were headed for eternal damnation, this is the reason why we worship. This is the reason why we worship God, because he's worthy to be praised. Some people don't like worship. Well, when you get to heaven, what do you think you're going to do? Praise God for taking us from the pit, from the miry clay. It takes us from out of nothing. It makes us something. Psalm, the psalmist writes this in Psalms chapter 40, verses 2 and 3. He says, he also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps he has put a new song in my mouth. Constant praise is a spontaneous praise. But new song is your song to the Lord. Praise to all God. Many will see it and fear and would trust in the Lord. See, the psalmist even understood that, hey, he took me out of the miry clay from a horrible pit, and I'm going to praise the Lord for this. But only he gets the glory and honor. You know, saints... We're going to continue with the attitude of praise and worship because this is what we're going to do as soon as we get to heaven. When you get to heaven, after the rapture, we stand before the Lamb of God as he loosens the seals of the scrolls. We're going to be worshiping God. It says in Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 through 10, and he says, and they sang a new song. And these are not angels, by the way. These are each and every one of us. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us. Christ did not redeem angels. To God, by your blood, and out of every tribe, tongue, and people, and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Talking about the millennium kingdom of Christ, we rule and reign with him. You know, when you look at the songs, the worship songs of redemption can only be sung by the people that accepted Jesus Christ, Lord, person, Savior. It can't be sung by angels. Angels have no idea what salvation is. Christ did not die for angels. And that's what we're going to do when we get to heaven. It's going to be a new song. And we're going to sing this song. So practice singing now. Practice worshiping now. <laughs> in heaven, it's not going to matter. You're going to have a good voice in heaven. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Your neighbor's not knocking on your door and say, please stop singing. <laughs> I already fixed two window glass panes, you know. <laughs> you know? Everybody's going to have a good voice. So we're going to worry. So Paul breaks out and says, listen, I can't believe this. Oh, Lord, you're worthy. Now, in this last section in verses 18 to 20, Paul concludes his opening instruction to Timothy regarding his ministry and his obligation to deal with these false teachers. You know, it's one thing to identify false teachers, but if they continue on, the Bible gives us instruction. And people don't like it. But this is what the Bible says. And we have to follow it because it's not my church. It's God's church. 
It doesn't change because the world changes. Heaven and earth will pass, but my word will not pass. So he, he tells Timothy again in verse 18, this charge, this charge is what he began the letter with. Remember the word charge is a military term. It's an order from a commanding officer to his subordinates. And everyone that's in the military knows that it is an order and it must be followed. It must be obeyed. It must be executed. If you're not in the military, you don't understand that. Those in the military, they know it must be followed, obeyed and executed. No ifs and buts. Don't care about your feelings. You have to follow that. So this is a charge. And this is what Paul telling Timothy. This is a charge. This charge, verse 18, I commit to you, son Timothy, calls him true son of the faith, verse 2, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them, speaking of those prophecies spoken to Timothy, you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience. Apparently, in Timothy's ministry, there was a prophecy spoken over him about his role in the church. And Paul here is just reminding him, remember, and we don't know what those, the words were, but nonetheless, Paul is using that to remind him, to encourage him, to help him to be the leader and the pastor he's to be and to follow this charge. He reminds him again in chapter 4, in First Timothy chapter 4, verse 14 and 15, he says, do not neglect the gifts that is in you which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Whatever was spoken, we don't know. But Paul is reminding, hey, listen, when they lay hands on you, they said this and this. You know, stick to it. You're going to need it because this is spiritual warfare. And apparently the words was that he used to be strong in the midst of spiritual warfare. And, and, and he's to wage the good warfare. It's, you've probably heard the term, fight the good fight. In other translations, fight the good fight. Christians fight the good fight. It is not a physical, by the way. I've come across some weirdos. And it's sad because people follow them. I met this guy. He was supposed to be a minister or whatever. He said, oh, yeah. You. So we're talking. And he said, listen, are you preparing your congregation? I said, yeah, we teach the Bible. I prepare them. No, no, no. Listen, there's going to be a war. There's going to be a battle. Tell them don't fight this battle. But learn how to use firearms and all these things. It's the next one. I said, really? I said, didn't Jesus say those who live by the sword die by the sword? But Jesus didn't gather a physical army. He told Pilate, he said, listen, if this was my kingdom, you know, my angels would come. He told Peter, put down your sword. But you know, I could call, you know, the, the angels are right there at the end of, edge of heaven as they arrested Jesus. They'll say, what's going on? Why is he not calling us? We're ready for this. And it was weird. But this is not a physical warfare, but a, a spiritual one. It's a spiritual warfare. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Second Timothy chapter two, verses three to four. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Christ, a good soldier of Jesus Christ. 
No one engages in warfare, and he's speaking about spiritual warfare, engage himself with the affairs of this life. Hmm. Many Christians need to read this, but in a refrigerator. That he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Who enlisted Timothy? Who enlisted us in, in this army, this spiritual army? Jesus Christ. You can't please Christ, the one who enlisted you into his army, if you engage in the affairs of this life. And this is why I always say, hey, guys, politics has its place, but it's not going to solve the problem. Only Jesus could give eternal life. You could talk about COVID, mass, and all these manners. It's not going to solve the problem. Our battle's now with flesh and blood. You can't please Christ, who is the one that enlists you in the army if you engage into the affairs of this life. That's not to say that, you know, you don't pray for these things, but that's not the main battle. And you know what, saints? If you're drained and weak spiritually, if you're drained and weak spiritually, this is the answer to your question is because you have enough going in your life spiritually. You have a spiritual battle in your life, yet you want to deal with the physical battle. The spiritual battle drains you, keeps you away from Christ, keeps you away from your time with the Lord when you should be on your knees and fighting the spiritual battle in the spirit with God. But guess what? We're so consumed with the other battle of the flesh. That is the reason why we are drained and weak spiritually. We're fighting the wrong battle. Now, Timothy is a pastor here. He tells him, Paul tells him, listen, fight the good fight. You're a pastor. You're a leader of this church. You have responsibilities, and as a pastor and leader of the church, you have a duty to perform. And every pastor of every church of Christ who are called and ordained by God to shepherd the flock of God, to feed and tend the flock, must be faithful in their duty and overseeing God's church. And that includes spiritual warfare and to do it in good conscience. So Paul, he starts with this. Now let's go on. He said, which some having rejected concerning the faith, has suffered shipwreck, verse 20, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, who I delivered to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. This is not a popular message, by the way. The motivation of preaching to you, but this is true, this is biblical, this is something that you, if you come to a church and you're part of a church, you need to understand, this is why we follow. It's not for us to give us oh, license to, oh, I don't like you. I don't like the way you do your hair. I don't like the way you're saying, you know, sorry, bye. Or you're not meeting my, my standards. No, God's standards. Much is not mentioned about Hymenaeus and Alexander. However, Paul mentions them in his second letter to Timothy, and that gives us at least a little bit more information as to what they were doing, their behavior and their sins. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, Paul writes this to Timothy in his second letter. He said, this kind of talk spreads like cancer, as in the case of Hymenaeus and Philetus. They have left the path of truth claiming that the resurrection of the dead has already occurred. We know that's not true. In this way, they have turned some people away from the faith. That is serious. They have turned people away from the faith. 
Now to Alexander, he writes 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 14, 15. Alexander, he said, the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. He's not, not that he's wishing uh, bad so that, hey, Lord, take care of him, wipe him out. No, he wants him to learn. We're going to see that in a bit. He said, you also must beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. These two men were responsible for blasphemies. They were responsible in having some people in the church to turn away from the faith. They were responsible for resisting the gospel of Jesus Christ, the true doctrine. They were doing their own thing, and that's what happens when people come into church. That's right. We're very careful. I'm very, you know, it's not just the police office and me. You know, I'm careful who comes in and tries to distract the people or deceive people. And it's a good thing that you study the word together with us so you know the truth. And he said, this is why they were shipwrecked. He said they were shipwrecked. Why were they shipwrecked? Because they rejected the faith. Look at verse 19. Which some having rejected concerning the faith has suffered shipwreck. And because they suffer shipwreck, what happens? They want to bring others down with them. They want to create a following or grab just a few people. And I've seen that. In my 20 years of ministry, I've seen that. But they, they, they drag people. So what did Paul say? Deliver them to Satan. Now, this is excommunication of the congregation and the fellowship. And some people say, oh, but we need to be loving. Uh, yes, loving, patient, kind. Jesus gave his instruction. Remember, he tells us about the offending brother. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 17, Jesus said, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, if he hears you, you have gained a brother. So if someone offends you, you, just you with that person. Don't go gossip. Just go to that person. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more that the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. So you bring witnesses. I would recommend people who are solid. They're not going to go, not your friends. They're always going to side with you. Get someone that's neutral. I would suggest a leader. 17, if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. Hey, so-and-so offended. This is the offense and continue offend. They tried working out that person. He didn't want to listen. We had two or three witnesses, leaders, and they didn't want to listen to the leaders. Now you bring it before the church. Hey, so-and-so, you know, is not repentant haven't, you know, changed its ways and continues to be a problem. He said, but if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. This is Jesus. The reality is there are people who's going to cause problems. There are people who are going to bring, mislead people and have them turn away from the faith. I've seen it. I have seen it. I have seen people who, you know, they become all kind legalistic, you know, they, they become, you know, heresy hunters, sin sniffers, and, you know, and everything's wrong, and they're perfect. <laughs> and then they get people, yeah, Eddie doesn't know what he's doing. I don't. <laughs> I don't have to, I won't, you won't you get an argument from me. I just read the word, and there it is. That's all I trust, not myself. And I've seen it. So he says, deliver these two to Satan. To deliver them outside the church, in other words, outside into the world, to abandon them to the realm controlled by Satan because they don't want to be controlled by the Spirit. They don't want to follow God and His Word. Why would you be in the church? 
You don't want to follow Christ. You don't want to be obedient to the leadership. You don't want to be obedient to the word. Why be in the church? You need to go somewhere else. So he says, send them out, send them out. And the purpose, the purpose is for restoration, not condemnation. And Paul, with the hope is that when they go out into the world, they realize they missed something. They realize there's just nothing out in the world. That is what Paul is doing here. I've seen parents, you know, kids that are 18, 19, 20 years old, and they just totally misbehave. You know, you need to get out. You need to get out. I love you. I'll support you till you're 30, but you need to get out. It's the same with the church. Why? Because when people come to church, they don't come to church to hear other doctrines, false teachings. That's not what people come to church for. <laughs> they don't come to church to be deceived. And if there's a problem with a person that's causing problems for everyone else, then we have to address it. Trust me, I will address it. I'm not trying to act like a tough guy. <laughs> you know, yes, I'm from the Bronx. <laughs> and I had to, you know, defend myself as a short guy. <laughs> I've dealt with the worst people as a police officer. So I'm not afraid. I don't like confrontation, but I'm not afraid to deal with it. And I'm not saying that again, especially when it comes to God and when it comes to people, when it comes to the church, I will defend and die for the church. I would. And so this is what Paul is saying. Listen, take them out. There, people are leaving. He says it has, he has what they have. Some have went away from the faith. He said they have turned some people away from the faith. That's serious. And if we don't do anything, everybody's going to turn away from the faith and they, where they're going to end up? In hell. This is why it's important. Hey, church, this is what the Bible says. And this is what we got to do. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you would be grateful that you could come to church at peace knowing that, hey, you know, we don't, we're not trying to be tough or anything. We're not being abusive in our authority, but that we're going to do what the Bible says. And you come to a church, you know you're secure and safe. You know, I'm one of those people, hey, safe. You know, even when I go fly, oh, I don't want to go fly. They start patting you down, checking. So listen, if I'm going to fly in that plane and it's going to be safe, there's not going to be a terrorist in that plane, you could check me in and out. You could check my bags. You could count my hair. You could do whatever you want. That's telling me that I'm going to be in a safe flight. And that should tell you that you're in the house of God where, you know, the leaders and myself, when we see anything that's not of God, that's going to cause a problem, we're going to address it. But, you know, it's not a popular passage. There's more, by the way. This is a pastoral epistle. But one thing I want you to remember out of this is the mercy of God. The gratitude that God did not give you what you deserved. And that's the wrath of God. But grace and love, you have eternal life forever and ever. And he's called you. He's going to enable you and find you faithful and he's going to put you in the ministry. And like I said, there's no such thing as a Christian who doesn't serve. Amen? You've been listening to Running the Race with Pastor Eddie. Pastor Eddie has been diving into the book of 1 Timothy, a letter written by Paul to his young disciple. Paul encouraged Timothy not to let anyone judge him because of his age. How often have you led those who see themselves as older and wiser? Paul gives you great encouragement in 1 Timothy 4.12. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. In short, lead by example. We're so glad you decided to join us on Running the Race today. 
Here's Jessica to tell you more. Prayers for this ministry would be so appreciated. The opportunity for the lost to be reached over the radio is incredible. So please pray for our listening audience and that what's shared will alter people's lives forever. Another way you can support us is by prayerfully considering giving in a financial way. There's a lot of time and effort that goes into producing this program, and we're grateful for all who are willing to come alongside us to support the creation of each program. If you feel led to do this, you can find a Give tab at runningtheraceradio.com. Thanks, Jessica. If you missed that website, it was runningtheraceradio.com. While you're there, you can find all sorts of information about Calvary Chapel of Milford. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come visit on a Sunday morning. You'll find service times and directions on the website. Well, that's all for now. We hope you'll join us again next time, right here on Running the Race.